Welcome to The Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region, The Marcus Warren Show. I am your host, financial advisor, tax and road agent, and author of the Retirement and Tax Playbooks, Marcus Warren. And I hope everyone is doing well on this Sunday. And in front of me, to my left-ish, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello and happy Sunday. And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, throughout the show, we will be offering our retirement rescue game plan, which is a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risks that threatens your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is in that game plan, Marcus? Well, in that game plan, you're going to get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. And you can simply order that by going to warrenwealth.net. Once again, that's warrenwealth.net. You go to the site, put in your information, and that retirement rescue game plan will be delivered free of charge to your front door. Once again, all you got to do is go to warrenwealth.net. Warrenwealth.net. Not com. Not com. Net. All right. Um, I think I've talked about the fall in these last two shows because I just love the fall. September is just a... Great month. It's over. We are in October. October's okay. Um, I'm seeing Halloween decorations. October's a wonderful month. What do you mean okay? <laughs> when, when, of course it is. Um, when, when did that become a, uh, a thing, Halloween? Um, decorations early? Yeah, it's like early. Yeah. Like last week, in the uh, last couple of weeks of September, I started seeing Halloween. It seems to be getting earlier and earlier each year. It's like Christmas now, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah. I've never seen so many Halloween decorations. Um, before October even starts. Before October even starts, or just yeah. period. Yeah. But I guess that's where we are. People love uh, the gore. Um, do you like the gore? Halloween's fun, yeah. Really? Yeah, ha- Halloween's a lot of fun. Why? I don't know, it's just fun. You get to be creative. For an adult? Yeah. I mean, kids. Dress up in costumes, be creative. For an adult? Yeah. Adults okay. can be creative, too. No, costumes need to stop after you're 15 years old. Nah. Or trick-or-treating, at least, needs to stop after mm, oh, 15. Oh, well, oops. Um, um, Halloween costumes. Maybe if you're going to a costume party, but you shouldn't wear one. Just for the heck of it, like, into work and stuff like that. At least that's my contention. But we still have a long ways to go before we get to Halloween. And hopefully this is the last time we talk about Halloween. Oh, no. Anyway, let's get into Money Matters. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, money. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go back to the basics here. And, um, you know, as we get into the fall, into the holiday season uh, here in the next couple of months or so, we also get into uh, tax planning season where you have to make sure that you have um, all your ducks in a row so you're not paying more than Uncle Sam um, and not keeping enough in your pocket. So um, uh, on, I guess, this segment may bleed over to the next segment. I just want to talk about something basic, the differences between, and some of the similarities between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Um, You know, because it seems that most people don't have a clear picture, even now, of whether they should contribute to a traditional IRA or a Roth. And there are definitely a lot of differences. So um, there is a little bit of confusion around what is best long-term. So I think, first of all, understanding the difference is going to be key. So most people uh, understand um, basically what what the traditional IRA is in most cases. Uh, The money you deposit is going to go in tax deferred, meaning that you can deduct the contribution from your income in the year that you make that contribution. So essentially, that contribution to the traditional IRA is going to lower your taxes in any given year, right? Um, Now, any money that is inside a traditional IRA, that's going to grow tax deferred until you take it out. And at that point is when you basically pay, pay that tax. Now, 
Because Uncle Sam wants that tax money that has been growing tax deferred all those years, um, say you don't want to take it out um, as you age. Well, you have to at some point in time, and that point of time is age 72, where you have what are called required minimum distributions from those IRAs. Now, everyone listening may be like, wait, I thought it was 70 and a half. And uh, that changed, what, about three years ago. Um, the 2020, Secure, yep. Yeah, the SECURE Act at the end of December 2019 changed it from 70 and a half to 72. Uh, but you do have to start taking those RMDs um, from that uh, traditional IRA. Now, that's a traditional IRA, right? Tax deferred, you get the tax deduction up front. Now let's talk about Roth IRAs. Now you don't, with Roth IRAs, you do not get that upfront, upfront tax deferral. You're still going to pay taxes on the income that you contribute, but the beauty is that those contributions, after, after they grow and grow and grow, are going to be tax-free. Meaning that when you take that money out, you don't have to pay taxes. And because you've already paid taxes on the money, there are no required minimum distributions. So Uncle Sam doesn't care when you take it out because you already paid the tax. So the biggest difference between the two, um, an IRA, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, is, de- is deductibility and whether or not the distributions are taxed. Those are the big differences. All right. So now let's jump into some similarities because um, they are similar. So... Uh, for instance, uh, let's talk about contribution limits. Uh, we're allowed to put $6,000 into an IRA annually. Uh, once you get to age 50, you get to put an additional $1,000 in an IRA, and that's called a catch-up contribution. Uh, another similarity uh, for both the Roth and the tradition, traditional is if you want to contribute, you have to have earned income. So what does that mean? That means that you have to actually earn some wages from some sort of job. Now we work with a, a lot of retirees and some of them, uh, some of them have part-time jobs or side gigs, side hustles. Um, and say they have one, uh, say they work at a, a golf course or, or something. And so they make, say they make for the year $4,000 uh, at that golf course. Now they can contribute up to $4,000 into either the traditional or the Roth IRA, but they can't do more. So again, it's only what they've earned up to that annual contribution limit. Hope that makes sense. Um, What else we got? We got some other similarities. Um, They both have income limits, meaning that if you take too much money, uh, you may not be able to contribute. So if you make too much money, you can't contribute to a Roth at all. Uh, However, if you make too much money, you can contribute to a traditional IRA. But at a certain point, that contribution that you get up front is not tax deductible. So you want to keep that uh, in mind uh, as well. Um, uh, and then, of course, there are penalties. Yes, let's talk about penalties. If you decide to take money out of uh, those types of retirement accounts, whether it's a traditional or a Roth, if you do before age 59 and a half, it's a 10% penalty. Um, now, there are a few exclusions where uh, the penalty is waived, um, like if you become disabled, permanently disabled, unemployed, using money for health care premiums, first-time home purchase, uh, sometimes that 10% penalty can be waived. Also with the Roth, um, you're only going to be penalized on the earnings that you have. So if you put in with the Roth, if your cost basis or what you've put in is, uh, say, 100 bucks, and it grows to $110 and you pull it out early, you're not going to be uh, taxed or even penalized on your initial $100 because that's already been taxed. But you'll be taxed, uh, well, you'll, you'll be penalized potentially on that $10 that you earned within that, uh, within that Roth. So a lot of differences, uh, but some similarities uh, as well. Um, and I think it's interesting to look, really, I, I think it's interesting, interesting to look at the stats. So, um, more people obviously have contributed to a traditional IRA versus a Roth over the course of their lives. Now, my question is, why do you think that there is that disparity in contributions between the plan? Why do more people do traditional than they do Roths? Well, first of all, um, Roth IRAs really haven't been around that long um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I believe that you couldn't contribute to one until... I want to say in the 90s, like maybe late 90s, let's say 1998. 
So that's what, um, 25 years ago, maybe 23, mm-hmm. no, 25, 26 years ago, um, that the Roth has even been around. So uh, if you do the math, say you're, say you're 65 years old today, uh, you wouldn't have been able to contribute to a Roth um, until you were like 40. And so that's one reason why uh, the Roth IRA, it doesn't have as much inflows. But then really the main reason is that we've been told all of our lives, um, and it's really been ingrained in us, uh, that you are going to be in a lower tax bracket or have a lower tax rate once you retire. Um, and so we've been told to just defer, 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 right? Put money in your tax deferred accounts, your tax deferred buckets. You're going to be in a lower tax bracket. Now, if, um, you've ever listened to me before when we've talked about, uh, where we think that tax rates are likely to go in the future, you know, that I think that they are going to have to go up and that's based on a lot of data. Um, and by the way, this data, uh, that we looked at was well before COVID, well before the stimulus money, well before student loan debt forgiveness, um, all that money that's been pumped uh, and, the, and the dollars that have been printed um, well before that. And um, uh, that's why we think that tax rates are going to be a lot higher uh, in the future and why you know putting money in those tax-deferred accounts It may have worked and been the best thing to do um, back in in its inception. But now that there are other alternatives, even specifically the Roth IRA, it might be in your best interest to look into uh, putting money or placing money in that Roth IRA. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive a little bit more into this in our next uh, segment. We're going to talk more about the traditional and the Roth IRA tax deferred versus tax advantage investing. A lot of good stuff coming up. You are listening to The Marcus Warren Show. There we go. A lot of screaming in this uh, song. Only woohoos and wee-hoos. Yeah. So this is... um, Gwen Stefani. This is the Sweet Escape. Yes. You know, this song came out in 2007. Okay. Number two in the U.S. Yeah, it was. Two in the U.K. All right. There you go. There you go. There you go. I like me some Gwen Stefani. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, yeah uh, you're making she's faces, decent. but I like her. Yeah, she's decent. She's a decent... Uh, I mean, I don't know her, but yeah, she seems like she's a very nice person. Anyway, welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. And that retirement rescue game plan is going to rescue your retirement from the risk that threatens your nest egg. We're talking about market risk, inflation risk, stock market risk. Oh, I said that already. Tax rate risk. Ooh. You have to, ooh, recession risk. There you have to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS. Once again, go to warrenwealth.net. Get that retirement recession rescue plan. Yes, R squared rescue plan. Get that. So, um, in cubed, R cubed. Yes, I know. You could have said that. You just threw cubed. the three fingers up. Threw the three up. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get back to some tax talk. So, I was talking about um, the differences between traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs and uh, the fact that most people have their money in the tax deferred bucket, which is the traditional IRA. And um, not a lot of people have their money in the Roth IRA, which is a tax advantage or tax free bucket. And of course the Roth is relatively new. Um, I think it came out, I said 1998. um, So it would only be about 25, 26 years old. Um, Traditional IRA has been around uh, a long time, but we think that tax rates are going to be higher uh, in the future than they are now. And we used to, we said this way before um, COVID, all the stimulus that's been pumped into the economy before student uh, loan debt forgiveness. Um, and that's just part of it. Um, but there's also the reason we think taxes are going to go up and be a lot higher in the future 
is also because, um, and, and I've talked about this in the past, is that um, there's been this huge shift in demographics, meaning we have all these baby boomers that have been paying into Social Security, they've been paying into Medicare, and now they're starting to leave the workforce. And not only are they not paying into those systems, and util- they want now to utilize those services. So uh, you have many, a uh, bunch more people uh, that are going to need and going to be pulling from Social Security and Medicare, right? And so that's going to put a strain on um, what the government has to, to provide and spend. And then also, there's the national debt, which, by the way, is $30 trillion, or close to, right? Over. Over? Wow. USDebtClock.org. Well, over $30 trillion. So our biggest concern has been, where's all the money going to come from to support these programs and then service the debt? Now, it's my belief that taxes are going to have to go up. And it might not just be for the wealthiest Americans. You know, we always think tax, uh, the, the wealthiest Americans would pay, would pay their fair share. We'd all be good. I think taxes are going to have to go up across the board. Uh, we already know that these tax cuts that we have currently now um, are uh, going to expire at the end of 2025. So you can even imagine that um, I'm even more convinced that taxes are going to have to go up here soon, definitely at least in, in, in my lifetime, probably a lot sooner than later. So that's why I think that it's uh, why we, we why having these discussions right now is so, is so important because we have so many areas of opportunity or you have so many areas of opportunity to improve your financial situation. And that may come in the form of a shift of how you contribute and how you save. Um, and so that's why I think this conversation of tra- a traditional IRA versus a Roth IRA is, is so interesting. Um, now, you know, I talked about an opportunity. Why would I use the word opportunity? Um, and I, what I mean by that is that the Roth, I think the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k, these things are in the tax advantage or tax-free uh, buckets um, are, are, are very powerful, um, we do a lot of tax analysis for our clients in our office uh, in order to help them minimize the taxes they pay, um, not only pre-retirement, um, not just post-retirement, but both. And so what a Roth IRA does is it gives you options. And I call it tax diversification, if you will, um, meaning that you can choose where you're going to take income from in any given year. And so if you have all your money in a traditional tax-deferred account, you have no choice. When you need money in retirement, whatever you take out is going to be taxed, point blank period. You have no choices. But if you have a decent amount or a decent percentage of your money in a Roth IRA, you can choose. So um, let me explain. So... So you, you could probably choose to offset your, well, I'm going to take a step back. So everyone gets a standard deduction in their taxes, right? If you're over 65, it's around $27,000, Married so, couple. A married couple, couple yes. yes, a married couple. Thank you. So you may choose to offset your standard deduction with your tax-deferred money, right? So you can make all the way up to $27,000, $28,000 if you're married, and you don't have to pay taxes because you got that standard deduction. So you could pull that potentially from your tax-deferred money and then potentially take the rest of your money from your tax-free accounts, that Roth IRA, essentially not paying any tax at all. That's an option. These are the things and strategies that, that we come up with in the office. And the important thing that you can't forget when we're talking about uh, a traditional IRA and pulling money out of your tax-deferred bucket is that it affects whether or not your Social Security benefits are going to be taxed. Bet you didn't know that. Anytime you take money from your traditional IRA, it goes into a calculation that the IRS uses to determine how much of your Social Security is going to be taxed. When you pull money out of a Roth, it doesn't go into that calculation. And remember that your Social Security can be taxed anywhere from 50% all the way up to 85%, right, of your Social Security can be taxed. 
Not like you're paying an 85% rate on that, but up to 85% of your social security can become taxable. Um, but if you pull money out of your Roth, doesn't count. Um, another thing to keep in mind is uh, estate planning. Um, you know, when you pass money over or whenever you die, um, if you have a, uh, a traditional IRA, you leave that money to your beneficiaries, your kids, whomever that is, they are going to have to pay taxes as they pull that money out. And they're going to have to pull it out within 10 years. That's right. That's right. And Very short time period. That's right. Because with the uh, SECURE Act, we just talked about the SECURE Act. Mm-hmm. It used to be when your kids inherited your IRA, um, your traditional IRA, they could stretch those distributions from their inheritance over their lifetime. It's called a stretch IRA over their lifetime. But the SECURE Act said, no, no, no. Now they have to take it out and spend it in 10 years. Well, at least take it out. At least you don't have to spend it, but you got to pay the tax. So you have 10 years to take it out now if you inherit uh, a traditional IRA. Um, so um, that's not uh, such a, a good deal, so to speak. And then, But if you inherit a Roth IRA, number one, you don't have to pay any taxes on it because those taxes have been paid. And when you leave that money to your heirs to your beneficiaries to your kids whomever it is it's not taxable and uh there's nothing that uh from what i've heard that people uh, like best than tax-free money they like that um and then from a standpoint of the uh secure act i think with a roth you still have to pull it out within those 10 years however it's tax-free so why not there's no, really no stipulation. It doesn't matter. So um, you really don't have those shackles on it when you kind of think about it. Right. And if you get tax-free money, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you take mm-hmm. it. You can take it all in one fell swoop and you don't have to pay taxes on it versus a traditional where if it's a pretty hefty traditional IRA that you inherit, stretching that over 10 years may still put you in a, uh, a tax bind because, by the way, if you're working – Whenever you pull money out of, a, of an IRA or an inherited IRA, all of those distributions gets piled on top of all your other income. Um, and so you can find yourself in a hefty, paying a hefty tax bill on money uh, that you inherited. So you, know, you got to think about those things. Um, so there are really, there are some good advantages and real advantages to the Roth IRA. Um, so I really can't think of any of many situations where it's not good to go ahead to uh, have and contribute to a Roth IRA because there are so many advantages. Um, now, there are times when you probably want to contribute to a traditional IRA. Um, and again, it goes back, it goes back to, to what you believe and where you think tax rates are headed. Um, if you believe that your tax rates are going to be lower in retirement, Maybe your house is paid off. Uh, maybe you live a pretty modest lifestyle and you're not going to be drawing much income from, from your retirement accounts. Then that could be a situation where uh, you feel like you're going to be in a lower tax bracket and you may feel like the uh, traditional IRA is, is right for you. Um, but uh, here in, the, in our office, we look at things year to year. And does it make sense to put money into the traditional piece or does it make sense to put money in the Roth piece? Um, uh, what's it going to do to your tax rates in any given year? Those are the things that we look at. How are things going to play out long term? Those are the things we look at. Remember, taxes are one of the, if not, uh, your biggest expense in retirement. So there's a lot of moving parts in regards to tax planning. And that's just one of the components of overall retirement planning. Um, and we always say uh, here in the office that you don't have a complete retirement plan if you don't have a tax strategy. And that's what we do. Um, I so think, I think one thing to, that people uh, or one fallacy maybe that, that, that exists out there is that you will be in a lower tax bracket in retirement uh, for those reasons that you mentioned that your, you know, your mortgage is paid off, your expenses are, you're living modestly, your expenses are lower. But if you picture somebody who, retired say in 2010 yeah. and and they've they've been retired for 12 years are they really do they, are their expenses really a lot lower than they were in 2010 especially when we consider inflation and the cost that inflation has had over the last 12 years you're you're right because um 
the I know we've you know I've done this a long time. Um, we both done this uh, done this a while, and um, my experience is that most people live on just as much or more income than what they did when they were retired because they're used to that certain lifestyle. Yeah, and that's what they want to do, and most people do do that, and so. Suddenly you want to stop traveling or suddenly you want to stop paying for the luxuries that you paid for before just because you're yes. retired. It seems like the opposite happens where people are like, finally, I have freedom. And then, ha- and then have, heaven forbid that, that you don't have any health issues because yes. then you have ex- extra expenses and you're going to need that, that money to, to come in and you have to pull more from those retirement accounts. So there are a lot of moving parts to, um, you know, taxation once you are retired. Um, speaking of that, let's, uh, Let's take a break and we're going to make a, a transition and we're going to talk about business owners and uh, audit red flags. There you go. For business owners. So if you're a business owner, this next uh, segment is very important to you. Keep listening. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. Oh, yeah, I like this. She's uh, the police, right? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Of course, it's Roxanne. Song came out in 1978. Okay. Um, Top 40 hit in the U.S. All right. Top 12 in the U.K. Nice. Police. Wonder, wonder when he when he left. Did, when did he leave the the, the police? I don't know when. Went solo. Yeah, went solo. Anyway, you'll look that up, and you all are listening to the Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can request your retirement rescue game plan to help you to help rescue your retirement from the recession that is impending. And what is in that uh, retirement recession? rescue game plan. Well, it's a uh, copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. Once again, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net. June, June 1985 is when he released his first solo album. All right, so that song came out in 78, so not too long after that. Yeah. He, uh, He moved on. There you go. Mr. Sting. Is that what you call him, Mr. Sting? Yes. Um, Just Sting. (laughs) Just Sting. All right, so we were talking about traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, tax-deferred investing, tax-advantage investing uh, in the last couple of segments. And um, uh, it had me thinking about uh, business owners because we've been, you know, we work with business owners. Um, Our uh, tax division does um, some accounting and um, what we call CFO services for for smaller businesses, and um, well, sometimes you know we deal with um, uh, audits. Um, we are uh, tax enrolled agents, which basically allows us to um, represent clients in front of the IRS um, if they have any tax issues, um, tax problems, things of that nature. And then, of course, it makes us uh, experts in taxes, um, tax strategists. Because we know the tax law, tax code, tax theory. And I know that, uh, um, speaking of audits, I know that if you're a business owner, the mere mention of an IRS audit, um, you know, sometimes gives you those, those uh, heart palpitations for the most part. And really being a small business owner, it does sometimes make you make your business a target. And the fact that, you know, you look at statistics here. The IRS derives about five times the revenue from small business uh, audits compared to, um, you know, audits of bigger corporations. So what can you do to protect yourself, business owners, from an IRS audit? And actually, I bet some of these um, that I talk about probably even bleeds over to individual. And you can chime in if, if, if you know, individual audits, uh, you know, go through the same thing. Um, so... Uh, I'll talk about IRS red flags that can get your business audited, um, steps you should take to avoid 
uh, some of these red flags. Um, and then, you know, you want to be prepared. How can you prepare for an IRS audit? Um, so you got to understand that all audits are not the same or, and they do not carry the same penalties. Uh, the IRS, they conduct three types of audits. They have a correspondence audit. They have an office audit and then they have field audits, right? A correspondence audit. This is one where, where I don't think that people think they're being audited when, when they get that letter. <laughs> Basically, yes, you are. When you get an IRS letter, whether you're a business owner or an individual, that is a form of an audit, right? The IRS sends you a letter asking for specific documents, information related to your tax return. And number one, whatever you do, don't ignore that letter. Because uh, this type of audit, if you don't ignore it, it can be dealt with quickly. If you keep, by the way, if you keep good records um, and you work with a good qualified uh, accountant or um, enrolled agent, someone like that, they can help you out. All right. On those correspondence audits, but you can't just disregard it, throw it away, um, bury it in the backyard and then just pray that you don't get another one because another letter will come. Um, so another type of audit, uh, audit is an office audit. As the name suggests, you Go, uh, that's a face-to-face meeting with an IRS, uh, at an IRS office um, when um, you're under investigation. The issues that are under investigation are, um, we'll say they're too complex to be dealt with via correspondence in the mail. And then there is the field audit. That is when you get that knock on the door from that IRS agent. By the way, field audits are the ones that you want to avoid at all costs. It's intimidating. It's um, intrusive. Another I word, it's intense. Um, uh, the IRS, they visit your, your business, um, even your home sometimes. But business, we're talking about businesses. They examine all your financial records. They interview you as well as uh, some of your employees. Um uh, That's scary. That sounds gotta, scary. You've got to provide documentation to substantiate your tax returns. Um, it can be a nightmare for business owners. Um, and so you do not want that field audit. Um, and, you know, you really need to be proactive. I always say being proactive and knowing what triggers uh, will lead to an audit is really the only defense that you can have against uh, the power of Uncle Sam, right? Uncle Sammy will be on you if you don't have all your ducks in a row and you're, and, and, and you're as proactive as possible. So um, let's talk about some steps to avoid uh, IRS triggers that will put your business in a vulnerable position. Um, the more proactive, I'm going to say this word again, the more proactive you are in knowing what could potentially trigger uh, an audit, uh, you'll be able to address it and you'll find yourself least likely in the crosshairs of how many IRS agents are, are, are coming to, uh, um, to Washington. Uh, 87,000. There you go. 87,000. I'm glad you, uh, that something clicked in your brain. Cause when I was first said that it was a deer in headlights look you gave me. <laughs> um, yes. Um, remember the, um, what, what was that bill called? The inflation reduction act yes. or something like that. Yes. Yeah. That added 87 more, 87,000 more, um, agents, uh, IRS employees into the fray. So, all right. So, um, what can you do? So if you receive an IRS notice, first of all, take a breath, don't panic. Um, but like I said earlier, whatever you do, do not ignore it. You cannot ignore it because there are some stiff penalties associated with ignoring IRS notices. And awesome. it also creates goodwill. If you respond in a timely manner, even if it's just a response saying, I disagree with, with what this is saying, if you respond within that allotted time frame, they're showing that you're ta- it's showing that you're taking steps to comply, and that's, that's goodwill. That's good. Uh, uh, the IRS sees that as good, that you are taking those steps versus just, like you said, ignoring it and hoping it goes away. Now, when we're talking about uh, dealing with it head on and not ignoring it, I recommend, especially for business owners, don't call on your own. Get an enrolled agent, uh, maybe sometimes even a tax attorney, depending on 
on the the notice, but you can probably just get a good tax enrolled agent, um, maybe even a CPA that you work with, and they can help you prepare uh, for that audit or get the information they need, depending on what the correspondence uh, has on it. So um, one of the things you don't want to do is just rush into it and either one just pay whatever it says on the letter because a lot of times if you um, – uh, if you have someone who knows tax law, tax code, tax theory, you know, sometimes, um, you know, they can uh, find ways to, if, 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 it, if it's applicable, ways to uh, reduce uh, whatever the IRS is asking for. But it's always good to work with a good professional. Um, all right. So what triggers um, some of these audits? One is, this is so basic, but it's, it's so true. It's, it's just, it's wild. Not filing a tax return. Yes. <laughs> or not paying your taxes when they're due. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, if your business is starting and you had no income in the period um, or that year, you know what you should do? Still file a tax return. It's called a zero return. Um, or sometimes you can even mail a signed letter that says that you explain that you had no income rather than not filing. But it's best just to do a zero return if you're a business. Um, the IRS... Remember, the IRS does not know that you had no income, and they're going to assume, especially for a business owner, they don't know that you didn't have income, and they're going to assume that all you're trying to do is avoid or sometimes evade taxes, all right? Um, another big thing, especially for business owners uh, that can trigger an audit, is you underreport income. Yes. Your business uh, may be operating on a cash basis. Uh, but there are still ways, other ways that the IRS can track your income. A perfect example is what's called a 1099. So companies provide 1099s to vendors, uh, independent contractors um, who make over um, $400, $600 a year um, during the tax year. Um, and so that's, the, that's one way that they track it. Um, even when you don't receive a 1099, you should still report the income. The IRS categorizes underreporting income as filing a fraudulent return. So if you know that you've received, you, you work with a lot of vendors, you know that you received, you've worked for five different vendors and you're waiting on 1099s, but you only get it from four and you go ahead and just report the four 1099s and you leave out the fifth, the IRS is going to may get you for filing a fraudulent, fraudulent tax return because you left off that fifth 1099 for an individual. Same with a W-2, right? For an individual, you work, you worked at three different, did three different jobs. You get two of your W-2s, you don't get the third one, and um, you go ahead and just report the first two and forget about the third. That um, is underreporting income, all right? And one of the things that the IRS has and has accumulated over time is data. They get a lot of data in from other business owners who are filing returns and individuals who are filing returns. And so if they look at you in a specific industry in a specific market and they see that your income is substantially lower than others in that market and in that industry, then either one, they're going to think you're a bad operator or most likely they're going to think you're underreporting income. Exactly. There you go. Um, and then also a couple of more Taking excessive deductions or claiming false deductions, that generally always triggers an IRS audit. Because the IRS has tools. You're saying they have information, access to information. They also have tools to help them determine if your deduction allocations are reasonable. Um, I don't want to get into the weeds, but it's an industry classification benchmarking program where they compare your, the industry that your business is in to the business expense deductions to other businesses in your industry and, um, you know, their algorithms, mm-hmm. um, although probably outdated because it's the IRS and the government. True. They still have algorithms that will throw up red flags yes. that can trigger an audit if you are taking false deductions or excessive deductions. That's why if you've ever noticed, probably haven't because nobody pays that much attention to their tax returns, especially if they don't do it themselves. But there is a business code on every Schedule C and on uh, S-Corp, C-Corp returns, 1065 returns. There is a business code that you have to put in when you are filing for that reason. There you go. There you go. And then the last, and you talked about this a little bit, uh, maybe in one of our last couple of shows, but businesses taking consecutive losses. Yes. 
Um, if you lost money in the three of the last five years, it could be looked at suspiciously by the IRS. Um, what else did we say last time? The, the, uh, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, if your business is, is a startup or growing, um, you're likely not going to turn a profit immediately. However, the IRS, they may classify your business as a hobby. Um, and if that happens, all your deductions are disallowed and you still must uh, pay taxes on um, any kind of income that, that you derive um, from that business, so to speak. So you just really need to know what triggers an, I, an, an IRS audit. Um, you know, it is important um, and you have to have a strategy to avoid it. Like I said, be proactive. Um, and if you are audited, you, you need to make sure that you have all of your uh, records and ducks in a row, I's dotted, T's crossed. All right. And that's uh, another thing uh, that we do here in the office for, for even small businesses. So, um, all right. Um, that's all we got. This was a tax uh, heavy tax mm-hmm. heavy uh, uh, last few segments. So we're going to jump into some news you can use next and news you can't use. You're listening to The Marcus Warren Show. This is good in the scene. As I walk through the valley of Beat. the shadow of death, you know? I take a look at my life and realize um, there's So this is Coolio. And the song is Gangster's Paradise. Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> Thank there's you. not, you gotta say it right now. <laughs> uh, that is funny. Uh, so the song came out in 1995. Okay. Um, and Coolio uh, recently died. Uh, I think died on Wednesday, Thursday or something. Wednesday or Thursday this yeah, week. Yeah, this week. And um, you know he was young. He was just 59 years old of like a heart attack. Uh, Way too summer. young. Yes. Mm-hmm. But this was, uh, like I said, came out in 1995. Number one in the U.S. Number one in the U.K. Okay. This was huge. Yeah. Um, so it was on a movie too. Um, uh, Dangerous Minds. Okay. Movie. Or yeah. Anyway. R.I.P. Coolio. All right. Welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Remember, you can get that recession, retirement, rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. You'll get a copy of my two books. Uh, You'll get a few different uh, reports and then access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. And uh, it's very important now more than ever with this impending recession, inflation, stock market dropping, to rescue your retirement, that retirement recession rescue game plan, go to warrenwealth.net. R-cubed. There you go, R-cubed. Trademark. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get into some uh, news you can use. Okay, your favorite CEO, Elon Musk, introduced a new humanoid robot on Friday at a Tesla artificial intelligence event as part of his uh, mission to shape public perception of the company as more than just an electric vehicle maker. So Musk uh, first laid out the vision for the robot called Optimus about a year ago at Tesla's first AI event. Uh, He's painted a vision of Optimus as helping Tesla make cars more efficiently. He also suggested that the robot could serve broader functions and potentially alleviate labor shortages um, in other manufacturing companies. Now, well, mm -hmm. here's the deal. Yes. This is just the beginning of the robots taking over. Right. And have you seen iRobot with uh, Will Will Smith? Smith? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is how... That's probably it, it how he envisioned. It did not end well. Oh, man. Uh, well, it ended well because Will Smith was able to save, you know, save, everybody. save everyone. Yes. But Spoiler alert. For a while, it was uh, doom and gloom. And yes. These, these robots look just like iRobots. Yes. I'm not a fan. And they're going to take jobs and, well, you know, displace people. We, you know, we already got the, you know, a lot of the self-driving stuff is was supposed to be taking truck drivers' jobs uh, yes. here eventually. And now we're going to have actual humanoid robots. Taking everything else? Supposedly. Okay, yes. I don't like that. Well, but this is, you know, take it with a grain of salt because Tesla has encountered some problems with automation in the past. Their efforts to rely heavily on automated tools to scale up their vehicle production recently has suffered some setbacks and caused the company to rely more on uh, uh, factory workers. Also, 
Elon has a record of making bold decisions that don't pan, bold, bold predictions that don't pan out. Um, like bore, like boring company. Yes. Like which is <laughs> so like boring. Yes. But the tunnel company. Yeah, yes, where they're digging tunnels to make trans tra- traffic less. Yeah, which uh, is a, to me a fantastic yeah. idea, but the logistics of that really would ever happen. Haven't it's, panned it's, out. It's these good. Yeah. At least it's the seeds of something that right. long, long when we're gone and right. dead. You know, our kids, kids, kids yes. will uh, be living in different in different timelines and, or and different Mars lifetimes, yeah. and have robots and all that <laughs> right. stuff. Anyway, what else? <laughs> okay, the worst drought in a decade is posing some fresh challenges to farmers in the Corn Belt who are already struggling with surging costs from inflation. Crop damage from uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois is evident in surveys uh, by a recent Professional Farmers of America. Uh, Midwest crop tour in which farmers, traders, and other agricultural industries evaluated cor- corn and soybeans growing in their fields. The outlook for corn yields dropped by 13% in Nebraska and 22% in South Dakota relative to the same time last year. Um, the Plains drought is only just the latest weather-related event hitting farmers. So a string of hailstorms hammered Nebraska crops. Uh, hail coverage um, uh, caused uh, uh, hail coverage claims among the uh, highest ever seen by a crop insurer. And the implications are global. Um, Of course, we've got Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, poor weather in South America, the EU and China, keeping the grain supplies tight, Uh, farmer equipment um, uh, supplier deer uh, company, lowered their 2022 profit because supply chain costs are sending their production costs up. Um, so just some some doom and gloom as we yeah. enter this recession and inflation. I was going to say that. Thanks for more of this doom and gloom. You're welcome. Um, we're going to brighten this bad boy up here pretty soon. And you know how we're going to brighten that up. We're going to end this news you may be able to use. I mean, it's it's kind of depressing droughts um, and robots taking over yeah. um, the world. But uh, I like to lighten it up because... Uh, uh, that's what the uh, our listeners want. They love the news that you can't use. A Canadian company has announced that it is seeking a chief candy officer to make up to $78,000 a year working from home and taste testing candy. I have already applied for this yeah, job. Sign me up. <laughs> candy Funkhouse is an online candy retailer. They posted a job op- opening seeking a chief candy officer whose duties include being the head taste tester and helping determine what products will be sold on their website. Mm, interesting, you know. $78,000 a year. Open I, to anyone over the age of five. I, I, I had heard that that chief, was it chief candy officer? Yes. That um, um, he was on a, a bus and, this, you know, he was smiling. This lady kept on looking at him. Mm-hmm. And then she walked up and said, she said, you know what? She said, you know, every time you smile, it, it makes me um, uh, want to, uh, to take you home. And he was like, really? He's like, yeah. She said, I'm a dentist. Like that? Crickets. Crickets. No. Oh, okay. Get it. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, because he his, his teeth are rotting from the candy. Yeah. And she is a dentist. Yeah. And every time you smile. Anyway, moving on. What else we got? <laughs> for a limited time only, Happy Meals aren't just for kids. Starting uh, tomorrow and running through October 30th, McDonald's will offer what they what they're calling in partnership with Cactus uh, Plant Flea Market, which is apparently a street fashion wear <laughs> company. I don't know. I'm not hip enough to know what that is. Um, adults can take basically get a taste of childhood nostalgia. The box comes with a meal and a classic McDonald's character toy like Grimace, the Hamburglar, Birdie. Not sure that one. And newcomer Cactus Buddy. So if you miss those Happy Meals that yeah. you used to get, that used to come with toys, um, now you can get them. Just because you're adult, an adult doesn't mean that you don't like toys and getting that's, a little treat in your Happy Meal box. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. That's definitely news you can't use. That's just, I mean, yeah, it's a market employee. You do whatever you can do. Um, yeah. But all they're really doing is just, I mean, it's just a hamburger and fries. I mean, actually, when you think about this, you know, I'm, I'm going off just a, a little, I'm going a little bit, a little tangent. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, what is considered a Happy Meal now yes. was a normal 
meal when McDonald's first opened. That that hamburger, yes. that fry, and that drink. Those were normal serving sizes mm. when we weren't the all happy fat. happy meal size. When, when we weren't all fat and supersized yeah. everything. Yeah. Anyway, we got time for one more. Okay, an Idaho-based uh, food company broke a Guinness World Record by cooking up a vat of macaroni and cheese that weighed in at a whopping... 4,742 pounds. Did anyone eat that? Yes. It was, uh, uh, oh, I don't have. They, they fried it up? They fried mac and cheese? No. They just no, cooked just mac cook, and cheese. No, just cooked mac and cheese. Yes, yes. Um, they broke their, uh, yeah, they, they basically gave it to everybody who came to, to watch the event. Everybody, I don't have the, hundreds of people started lining okay. up early afternoon to get a portion of the dish. Um, and I'm sure that was some sort of stupid world record. Right. Well, they broke their they broke our, our the other the previous record was just twenty four hundred pounds of mac and cheese. This one wow. doubled it. Wasn't I just talking um, about the supersizing and yes. all that? That's the ultimate supersize, and yet another reason. How do you get a bowl you know, or a pot big enough it's to not. Oh, make a bowl? All that. It was all in one bowl. I don't know. Like, well, obviously, when everybody, I don't think everybody ate it from the same bowl. That would be, be yes, especially um, with uh, probably you know, bad. But no. um, but I, yeah, I don't know how they that's cooked right. up that much. But um, that's, there uh, we go. Four thousand seven hundred forty-two pounds of mac and cheese. That's a lot. That would make me sick of mac and cheese for a while. Well, I don't think you'd eat all of it. You'd just get your small little portion of it and move on. Okay. You don't have to eat all of it. Okay, good. I know you'd like to, but that's not what happens. There you go. Thank you, Dee, for that news you can't use. And it definitely was news you can't use because uh, it was uh, horrible. Anyway, <laughs> we all know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great week and take it easy on this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com. Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.